0: Thank you for visiting Crossland Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at COCchurch.com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. Go ahead and turn to 2 Samuel 15, if you have a Bible with you. If you don't, we're gonna put everything up on the screen this morning. But 2 Samuel 15, we we continue a little series that we started last week called all I want for Christmas and one of the things that that uh, is is common to all of us is that we will all have dreams and goals and aspirations and things that we want to see happen in our life. Um, I was just talking to somebody this morning I was talking to Jamie the drummer he's a school teacher and we were talking about um, kids that play basketball in college and how they go from high school to college and just think that they're going to be the great stars that they were in high school and it doesn't work like that and he said yeah he said I don't know how many little kids I have come up to me at the middle school and tell me you know he says I'll be talking to him about their grades and their response is I don't have to make good grades because I'm going to be a professional basketball player you know, and, and how many of them, he. And I loved his response. He said, what I always tell those kids is, do you realize that the people over in Rockville have no idea who you are? If they don't know who you are in Rockville, you're probably not going to be a big deal to the rest of the world. You know, I don't want to shatter your dreams, but let's be realistic that, you know, millions and millions of kids want to be professional basketball players when they grow up. Well, that's true for all of us. We grow up with these dreams and aspirations, um, but as life Happens, you know, life kind of kicks you in the teeth a little bit, reminds you that you're not all that. Um, not everybody gets to be a professional football player. Not everybody gets to play golf for the uh, living, even though that sounds like a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let me just have a moment here to revel in. <laughs> um, you know, you, you grow up and your moms and dads have aspirations for you to be a doctor or a lawyer, and then you go to school and you realize the aspirations may be there, but the grades are not. And so Uh, The dreams kind of die hard. And then you readjust and you have some other dreams. And sometimes those dreams aren't even so outlandish and crazy and out there. I mean, you know, little girls think to themselves, well, surely I'll be married by the time I'm 30. Really? And then when that doesn't happen, sometimes we kind of wig out and think, you know, God, what are you doing? What's going on? I've told you before about my friend Beverly Petty who uh, is a friend of mine from Atlanta, Georgia. I met her through the Catalyst conferences that we go to. She worked for the Enjoy group and she was kind of our uh, consultant liaison kind of person. And over the course of many conversations with her about business stuff with taking the church to conferences, she and I got to be really good friends. And, And as she would, we would talk, one of the things was she was you know, she was 25, then she was 27, getting close to 30, and she still wasn't married yet. And her standards for who, the kind of man she wanted to marry were very, very high. She, she, Her words to me were, when I cut him open, I want him to bleed Bible. That's what she was looking for. And she held out, and she dated lots of guys that, that you know, seemed like good enough guys, but they just, they weren't as committed to Christ as she wanted them to be, and, and she was very strong in her insistence that that be the case, and she wasn't going to settle, and you know, toward the end, as she got close to 30, she said, "Brett, man, I'm telling you this is getting harder and harder because I, I'm starting to really wonder and question." And then one day I got a postcard in the mail, and it was the most beautiful postcard I've ever gotten because it was a picture of Beverly Petty in her wedding dress, cutting her wedding cake with her uh, new husband, doctor what is his name? Doctor Bryson Payne. He's a professor and he's like super smart and he's really good to her and they're just happy as they can be. And then I just recently got another uh, postcard from them and they're expecting. So, you know, dreams do come true sometimes, but not all the time. Your dreams don't always come true. And and what happens in life whenever your dreams... Don't come true, you know, you, you, you grow up and you get married and your first marriage didn't go the way you thought it was going to go and you, you realize I'm not going to end with that person or you're in a second marriage and that one's not really going all that great right now and you're, you're thinking to yourself, man, what, what, you know, what's going on with my dreams and my goals? And, and um, you know, you, you, you figured that you would be married by the time you were 30 and now you're 31 and you're not married. And that was just such a, God, that wasn't an outlandish goal. That wasn't something crazy to ask you for. That's a pretty simple thing but it didn't happen. You started a business, and your business didn't quite turn out the way you wanted it to. You, Or you're a student, and you really want to go to school where your dad went to school, but you don't have the grades to get into that school, and And now everybody's going to know, and, and it's going to be an embarrassing thing. What do you do with those emotions? What do you do in those times when you begin to, it really becomes clear to you that the things that you thought were going to happen, almost were sure were going to happen. You get to that place and they didn't turn out at all the way you thought they would. And th- those are the kind of emotions sometimes that drive people to drink too much or to pop pills or to make a bad life decision. In fact, I think a lot of the decisions that we, a lot of the frustrations that we have are the, 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 uh, when we look back on life and we say, you know, that's, that's a disappointment in my life or that's a time that I, I'm really not uh, all that happy with. I think a lot of those times, what am I trying to say, the, 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 um, the times you regret. I think sometimes in life when you look back and you see things that you regret, many times the decisions we made around that regret have been driven by goals that didn't, didn't come to pass or by, by dreams that didn't really happen the way we thought that they should. And, and you're just disappointed. And to be real honest, if you're really honest with people, you're just downright angry at the way things are going. Um, you know, when you look around and, and it seems like your, your friend's, dreams are coming true in fact sometimes it seems like your neighbors that your dreams are coming true for your neighbors and you're like god you know what's up that was that was my dream not his dream and why can't i have that you know you might be i've had talked to so many girls that they go to everybody else's wedding and they've got dresses in their closet from all these weddings they've been in and they say you know basically there's 12 dresses in my closet that are monuments to the fact that i'm not married yet and they say that like i can do something about it you know i'm kind of limited in that regard but um the 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 more you go through life the the more you start to realize that not every dream is going to come true and what do you do the bible's full of people who come up on this dilemma of you know now that life isn't going to turn out exactly the way i wanted it to turn out now i've got to adjust on the fly and god this i didn't expect it to go like this um the one today is is that we're going to look at is a, a a story out of the life of David. Last week we looked at, at David when uh, he's been told he's going to be the king. King Saul finally decides he doesn't like uh, the uh, David, the young man, and so sets out to basically try and kill him. David panics. He goes and does some, makes some very bad decisions, does some things that, you know, later on in his life I think he would probably look back and say, you know, I shouldn't have done that. That was a bad, people lost their lives as a result of, uh, some decisions and some mistakes that I made. And I really believe that what David learned in our study from last week affected the way he responds in the story that we have today. Now, you're, you're liable to hear what I'm gonna say today, and you're liable to think to yourself, you know what, Brett? Nobody, I mean, that's unrealistic. Nobody really thinks that way. Nobody Nobody would behave that way. No one would respond the way David responds in the story we're gonna look at today. But I, I really do think that that David learned some things that um, helped him in this particular instance. Um, You know, in the past, he'd made some decisions, and it complicated an already complicated situation. It it, it was a dark spot on his life, what we looked at last week. And I think really what he's out to do this time is to not do that again. And uh, you have to give him some applause for that. Um, In this story, we find David a wiser, older man. And he's facing circumstances that are... You know, really, if you can think that circumstances are far worse than somebody wanting to kill you, um, he's kind of got that same thing going on uh, in this particular story this morning. But but again, he's, you're going to see him in this place where the dreams that he had, maybe for his sons and for his family, it, it comes very clear to him that those things are not going to come true, and we see him respond. Second Samuel 15, this is a man in David that is a natural-born leader. He's a very magnetic person. He's a handsome man. People are drawn to David. People want to follow David. He's a good leader, and um, life is good for him. He's got, you know, several wives. He's got lots of possessions, a lot of things going on for David. You would look at David, and you'd say, man, life turned out pretty good for him, and by this time, in, the sto- in what we're going to look at today, his kids have grown up, and they are basically young adults, but unbeknownst to him, he has some turmoil That's brewing in his family and he does not know about the turmoil that's going on see here's the problem he has a a firstborn son whose name is Amnon and Amnon has this real problem Amnon is attracted to his half-sister yeah that's a problem see that's not good today and you know sometimes people think well in biblical times they let that kind of stuff happen didn't they no that that really wasn't even real all that good in biblical times um to fall in love with your half sister that that that's not going to go very well and so he insi- and her name is Tamar he insists that he wants to have a relationship with Tamar and so uh to do this he you know he's the king's son so he's got pretty nice pad and, and he's got people that take care of him and And people all around, but he pretends to be sick, and he sends all of his people home. Everybody wants everybody away from him and and out of his particular place in the palace or wherever it was that he stayed, and uh, he wants everybody to be gone, and then he feigns that he's sick and asks Tamar if she would prepare a meal and bring it to him, which she uh, agrees to do. She brings the meal to him, and when she does that, he rapes her, and yeah, I mean, it's like, You got a strange way of showing that you love somebody but but that's what he does and then once he does that the bible says he despises her he he really just gets to a place where he can't even stand the thought of her or can't stand to look at her and so he tells the servants to to throw tamar out of the palace there she's not going to be there anymore she begs amnon please don't do this this is going to disgrace me it's going to disgrace you don't maybe we can talk to the king and he could give me to you as a wife and and uh, it's just not a good thing at all. Um, he says, I don't ever want to see her again. Get her away from me. Just take her as far away from me as you can. She just, I don't want to have anything to do with her. Word of this gets back to David, and can you imagine you're the, you're, you're the king of Israel. You've got a firstborn son who's slated to be the next king of Israel. You've got a beautiful daughter in Tamar, and now he's done this to her, and, and uh, you know, he's not acted as as one who would presumed to be the king and and um, so what do you do I mean your family seems to be falling apart your dreams for your family are falling apart what do you do I mean if you impose the law on Amnon um, it, it looks bad to the other nations that are watching it looks bad in your own city and in your own nation and and you know you've got problems with your your family it would all be devastating and and how do you you know how do you what do you do I mean they don't write a book do they on what to do if your one son does this with, with a half-sister. I don't think they write a book on that, so what do you do? Well, David decides to do nothing, and that's probably not the best choice, but you know, you, you, when you think about everything that David was up against, you ask yourself, well, what would I have done? That's a, that's a really good question to ponder, but David decides to do nothing. Amnon has a, a, a younger brother named Absalom, and this story that we're going to look at today really is about David and Absalom. And here's what Absalom does. When he realizes that uh, that David is not going to do anything, he begins to look after Tamar. He takes Tamar into his house, and he looks after uh, her. And uh, of all of David's children, probably Absalom is the one that was most like David. Very handsome, uh, a natural-born leader, someone that people would want to follow. He was magnetic. People liked him. And um People would follow Absalom simply because he was Absalom. Well, Absalom decides that if David is not going to do anything about what Amnon did to Tamar, that he will do it himself. And so he waits. He doesn't say anything for two years, and he waits for two years, and then he throws this huge party. throws a great big huge party. Everybody's invited invites all of his uh, family and friends and brothers and sisters. Um, he's going to have this great big banquet. And at the last minute, David sends word that he is not going to be able to, to make it to the banquet so he's a he's a cancellation at the last minute well at some point in the festivities of that evening uh, Absalom waits until he's close to Amnon and when he gets close enough to Amnon he murders him in front of everybody everybody sees this happen and it's done in an effort to avenge what he had done to Tamar well when people see this um, they you know two years has passed they think that there's not a problem there they think that Absalom is out to overthrow the government or to do something crazy like that. So they all flee, they scatter, and that wasn't Absalom's intent at all. His intent was purely to avenge what had happened to his sister Tamar. So immediately he has to leave the country. He runs to a, another country called Gesher, which would be modern-day Syria. Um, if you're familiar with the map in the Middle East, it's it's Syria. Word of this horrible event gets back to David. Uh, he begins to hear what Absalom has done to Amnon and now, not only have you lost your firstborn son, not only has he acted poorly and really disgraced himself and the family, and, and now you've got Absalom who uh, has tried to avenge this terrible thing that's happened to Tamar, and he's killed the firstborn son. He's had to leave the country. It's just not going good at all for David. You know, do you, do you arrest your son? Do you? Um, the dilemma just seems to be too complex for David. And again, he does nothing. Three years go by, and. Am- uh, uh, um, Absalom is I wanted to call him Ambasol why do I want to call him Ambasol it's, it's crazy David is missing that's why I hesitate i like no you can't call him Ambasol that's not right David's missing his son Absalom and Absalom is missing David three years go by there's no contact and I just would caution you right here I realize that life circumstances sometimes make this very very difficult and sometimes there's nothing you can do but I just I made a little note this is a note to fathers I want you to notice that, that there's, there's an absence here and there's a son that's longing for his dad and he misses his dad and he needs his dad and his dad's not there. And you see some of the things that Absalom does later. Dads, you're huge. It's just, that's really what I'm trying to say. Joab, the captain of the army, after Absalom has been gone for three years uh, in, another, in another country, makes arrangements for him to be able to return uh, in safety and with no penalty to be able to come back to, uh, to Jerusalem and to be in the city with David now they don't have any contact but he's at least in the vicinity of his father and he doesn't hear from David for a long time finally after years and years David calls for Absalom to come to the palace hall and so Absalom you know this is his chance dad's called for me and I've missed him for so long and now I'm going to get to go and see my dad and 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 we're going to be reunited again and as you read the story Absalom has gone to, to great lengths really in this, pro, in this years of waiting to reconnect with his dad and it just hasn't worked out. Uh, David is hesitant. David is a little distant in this whole thing. Well when they finally connect it, it goes okay but Absalom picks up on this distance on this uh, this hesitance from David and it, it really honestly it angers Absalom. It makes him mad. And, um, you know, he's waited all this time, and when they finally see each other, he just does not get the response from, from his, his father that he really had hoped and wanted. And so the story picks up four years after that event. During that four years, Absalom has set himself up at the city gate, and he has kind of set himself up as a judge or an advisor, and he's really endeared himself to the people uh, in the city um, like I said, he's a natural born leader and he's very magnetic and people want to be around him and they, they, they like, Abs is a naturally likable man. And as he spent this time, this four year period of time, just kind of garnering support and, and building his, his uh, you know, political base, if you will, he's been trying to get people to kind of come under him and to see him as a, as a leader type. So You know, he's handing out judgments. He's very accessible, which is something that probably wouldn't have been said about David in this time. David, you know, we talk about presidents looking presidential. It's in this particular time of David's life that he doesn't look very kingly. David probably hasn't been as accessible to people. He probably hasn't um, been seen as much and and been able to get to him like maybe you were in the past. And so Absalom, in this particular period of time, kind of comes in and steals the hearts somewhat of the people away from David. And then he comes up with a plan to overthrow his father as king, and that's where the story picks up this morning. I want to start reading it. 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 7. At the end of four years, Absalom said to the king, Let me go to Hebron and fulfill a vow I made to the Lord. While your servant was living at Gesher in Aram, I made this vow. If the Lord takes me back to Jerusalem, I will worship the Lord in Hebron. The king said to him, Go in peace. So he went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent secret messengers throughout the tribes of Israel to say, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, then say, Absalom is king in Hebron. So he was going to go back to this very important city in the nation of Israel and, and have himself proclaimed as the king. And then he would move with his armies, with his entourage, back to Jerusalem. And he would gain momentum as he went. And there, it was all done in the, with a purpose to overthrow his father, who was the king. We pick up verse 11. 200 men from Jerusalem had accompanied Absalom. They had been invited as guests and went quite innocently, knowing nothing about the matter. So these guys have no idea what's going on. Absalom was offering sacrifices. He also sent for a Ahith, Ahithophel. Don't try that at home. I'm a trained professional. Not everybody should try to do that. Ahithophel, sounds like I have a speech impediment. Uh, the Gilanite, David's counselor, to come from Gilo, his hometown. And so the conspiracy gained strength, and Absalom's following kept on increasing. So this guy just is growing, and in, in, you know, in, in his his base just gets bigger and bigger, and more more people want to follow him, and he's really becoming kind of a rock star. So he pulls this counselor of his father's aside, and, and this guy doesn't really know uh what's going on and he 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 gains his confidence and then sends him back almost to be a spy really on david and he doesn't even know that he's he's doing all this stuff um we don't know exactly what david knew at this time you don't know how much about all this uh, plan that absalom had you don't really know how much david knew about what was about to happen um, but he probably had heard some rumors. He probably had heard some rumbling, some things going on. And, you know, he might have been a lot like some of us. When you hear something and you, you think, well, certainly that can't be true, and I don't want to believe that. I don't think that that's really the case. And so you tend to to just kind of put it out of your mind and you don't think about it. You know, you, 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 you think maybe your kids aren't doing good in school and you don't really want to talk a whole lot about it, but then the counselor calls and says, no, we we really need to talk. Or your boss you know, you've heard that some things are going on in the company, and but you really don't want to think about that. And I'm not, I'm just, that, that can't be true. And then one day uh, the boss actually calls and, no, it's it's not good news. You know, you, you saw that letter and it surely it didn't mean that. Or you got that email and, man, it, certainly I've misunderstood something. That email just didn't come across the right way. Um, your children won't look you in the eye and you think oh they've done something bad they you know please tell me that they haven't and then you know you do find the broken plate or the um, in my case it was a a spoon rest that was an antique spoon rest that I had been playing with when I was supposed to be washing the dishes and it broke because I was horsing around and you know I didn't want to look at who broke the spoon rest and I didn't want to look at my mother and she comes (laughs) to that realization oh you broke the spoon rest yeah that would be me Um, Verse 13, David gets the news. It's confirmed for him. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And if you're David, whatever your thoughts are, whatever your hopes have been whatever your dreams have been for absalom and his his uh re- restoration of prominence in the right way in the in the city and in the nation and as the king and all that kind of stuff whatever your you had hoped would be the case your advisors to david would then look at him and say david you need to give all that up because it's not going to go that way the hearts of the people are now with absalom in other words he's coming he's he's uh you know it's 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 just that it's that thing that you don't want to hear. It's that confirmation that you think surely not me, not now, not this way. And in that moment in time, you realize your dreams are not coming true. What you had hoped was going to be is not going to be. And so David is there with this bad news that he hoped he'd never get. Your son is going to try and overtake you. Your son is going to try and steal your kingdom away from you. It, literally, your son is about to go to war against you. I mean any time you put sun and war in the same sentence it's just not good, is it? Never turns out good. Verse 14. Then David said to all his officials who were with him in the in Jerusalem, "Come, we must flee or none of us will escape from As- Absalom. We must leave immediately or we or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword." So in order to spare the city, in order to spare uh, the, the people that were around him, that were close, in order to kind of maybe prolong and, and uh, protect the, the throne even, David decides that he's just going to leave. Verse 15, the king's officials answered him, your servants are ready to do whatever our Lord the king chooses to do. Verse 16, the king sat with his entire household following him. What do you do when you know your dreams are not going to come true? This all came as a huge shock to the people who knew David. The people who knew David, um, they knew that he was up for a fight. You know, we're in a defensive position. Surely David is going to bolster up, and he's going to turn, and he's going he's to step into the fray, and he's going to defend. Surely David isn't just going to walk away and not fight. Surely the, 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 the mighty warrior that David is is going to fight. But David packed everything up, all of his family members, everybody that was loyal to him, and he said, we're going to abandon the city. If my, my son wants the throne, he can have the throne. If he, if he wants the crown, he can have it. If he wants the, the, the kingdom, he, he can have it. He can have it all. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to resist. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to you know, put up a big fight. And I'm not going to make a bad decision worse. I already did that once, and I tried to manipulate God, and it didn't turn out very well and so i'm not going to do that again and david finds himself in a position that you know we hope that we never find ourselves in he's in a lose lose situation if he goes to war with his son he's he's at war with his son if he kills his son then you know that's not good if if he loses to his son that's not good there's no good way for this to turn out for the king and it's his son and it's a war Verse 23. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on toward the desert. Can you imagine there's no there's no real battle? There's no there's nothing happening that's making these people leave. It's just David leading his people out in peace, and they're they're going out through the Kidron Valley, and, and there's there's no enemy at the gate. There's there's you know there's not an army station there. It's nothing like that. It's just the king vacating his palace and his crown, and everybody that he can take with him he's taken with him in order to save him and then we get this interesting detail it's insight into what's going on uh, around David and, and with David and what's going on even inside David verse 24 Zadok who is the high priest he's the high ranking religious official he's a good friend of David's Zadok was there too and all the Levites the Levites would have been the guys in the tabernacle that that saw to it that, that um, everything was, was you know, all the rites and rituals went on the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, if you saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's what they're talking about, and so you know that that's a special box, right? It's this big gold box. I mean, it was a that was special prescription about how this thing should be moved or carried and constructed and what was to go inside. And there were several things inside, but one of the big things that was inside was the the stones that that Moses had brought down from Mount Sinai when he received the Ten Commandments. They had gone into the the Ark of the Covenant. This Ark of the Covenant basically represented the presence of God with the people. You wanted to be, you wanted to have the Ark of the Covenant. There was a story in the Old Testament about, and it's a special, sacred, you didn't mess with the Ark of the Covenant. Um, One time some guys were trying to carry it. They carried it on these sticks of acacia wood and, and it became unstable at some point and somebody reached out to steady it so that it wouldn't fall one time when they were trying to transport it and move it. And the moment he did that, he dropped dead. It was just you, you didn't mess with the Ark of the Covenant. And so this is a, like considered the epicenter of God's presence. Um, if you were close to that, you were close to God. It was as close to God you could get on earth was to be close to the, the Ark of the Covenant. So when Zadok heard that David was, was leaving town, he had the Levites get together and, and make sure that the Ark of the Covenant was going to go out with him. I mean, it just was unthinkable that you would leave and not take the Ark of the Covenant. You know, it was it was Zadok thinking like a preacher. It was it was thinking like a priest. You know, his his whole thing is we got to make sure God goes with us. We got to we got to make sure that that we have His protection and His presence with us. And so, you know, David is is fleeing basically a rebel son, a bad son, and and Zadok's thinking we we've at least got to have God on our side. If we've got this Ark of the Covenant, then things are going to go our way. And so. We come to verse 24, the second part. They set down the ark of God, and Abiathar offered sacrifices until all the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Take the ark of God back into the city. What? That's right, Zadok. Take it back. I'm not going to manipulate. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to press the matter. I'm not going to panic. I know you're trying to do a good thing, and I know, that, I know that you're trying to bring God along with us. I understand what you're trying to do, Zadok, but, but I'm telling you, take the ark of God back into the city. David, if we take this ark with us, we're guaranteed victory. If we take this ark with us, we have God's presence with us. If you have the, the ark, you have the people of God on your side. David, you can't, you can't do this. This has got to come with us. It's a symbol of God's presence. And God, David, don't you want the symbol of God's presence with you? And he said, take the ark back to the city. But David, why? Well, Zadok, because I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to try to manipulate God anymore. I'm not going to try and get God to, to have my will for his life Which is, you know, we talk an awful lot about having God's will for our life, but really when we come right down to our prayer life, many times what we're really doing is we're trying to get our will for God's life. God, here's what I've got going on. This is the way I think it all needs to go. If you'll just get on board with my plan, then everything's going to be great. You just need to do it my way. God, it'll be fine. And David basically says, I'm not going to bargain. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to reason. I'm just, I'm not going to manipulate God. Take the ark of God back into the city. And then listen to the next two verses because this is the response that I think God wants to hear out of you and me when our dreams don't come true. Look at verse 25. If, if, meaning I don't know everything that's going to happen. There's a lot of stuff that could go on in the future and I don't know what all that is. David is fully aware that there are things that are going to happen. He has no control over. He cannot tell what's going to happen next which is exactly the same thing for you and me. We don't have a crystal ball. We can't see into the future. We have no idea what's coming next. And so we get this if I find favor in the Lord's eyes and this is a very important word. He. He will bring me back and let me see it in his dwelling place again. In other words, Zadok, just because the lights have gone out on my dream, does not mean that the lights have gone out on my faith. See, those are two different things. Your dreams are here, but your faith is here. And just because things kind of fade on your dream and your dream doesn't turn out the way uh, you wanted it to go, does not mean that the lights have to go out on your faith. But for so many people, when the dream dies, the faith dies. And that's, that's not the case for David. He says, I'm not going to make a mistake that I made before. I'm not going to push this matter. I'm not going to look at my dream falling off to the wayside and think I've got to do something about it. I've got I to take some heroic action to make sure that things go the way I want things to go. I'm not going to do that this time, Zadok. I know I did that in the past. I know I've got a history. I've got, I mean, people are dead because I've done that before. I'm not doing that this time. If God wills it for me to return to this city, I will return to this city. But but Zadok, really, it's not my will that is needs to be done at this point. It's God's will that needs to be done. It's not my dream. It's God's dream. Verse 26, but if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. And I, you know, I like that. You see these guys lately in, in the news that are in trouble for different things and and they've got their lawyers, and so many of them want to deny that they've done anything wrong. And it's, it's refreshing when one of them finally stands up and says, you know what, I made a mistake, I did this, and I'm ready to receive my punishment. I'm not going to run, I'm not going to, you know, try and do some crazy thing. I deserve it, what, what, what needs to happen to me. If, I am, if he says, I am not pleased with you, then I am ready. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him. Either way, I'm not going to abandon God. If he returns me to the city, that'll be great. I'll take what comes from the hand of God. But if he decides that, that he's not pleased with me and he decides that he's going to abandon me, I will not abandon God. I'm not going to do that again. Verse 30. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. Can you just get that picture of David just heartbroken at everything that's going on in his life? I mean, his life is not turning out the way he thought it was going to. His head was covered, and he was barefoot. That's grieving. He's, he's, he's hurting. He's, he's, he's in a horrible place. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went. Now I need you, if you have your Bible, to jump over to chapter sixteen. Look over to verse uh, fifteen of chapter sixteen, Second Samuel. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and this is where things get really, really nasty. Um, as David left, Absalom comes in. All this the stuff that David has, has uh, vacated, Absalom has come in and assumed. He's assumed the throne. He's assumed the crown. He's assumed the palace. He's assumed the city. He comes in and he takes over. And what happens next, I, I don't really want to get into uh, for a couple of reasons, but but it would it would merit some study on your part. You would do well to go read what happens in this uh, after this particular when when Absalom comes back into the city. Basically, what Absalom did is he said, "What can I do publicly that would completely humiliate my father? What could I do that would disgrace him in such a way um, that that everybody would know that I'm in charge now, that he's not in charge anymore, and that he would be disgraced among all the people and all the nation." And so that's exactly what he does. It's a horrible thing. And so after he does that, Absalom gets his armies together, and he decides it's time to go pursue David in the field. Now, here's the problem. Absalom did not realize that David cut his teeth as a warrior in the field. David was a fine field warrior. He was not a guerrilla fighter. He didn't fight in the cities like probably Absalom was a cut. You know, Absalom's training probably was a, a, a city guy. He went out and was going to take on his dad and try and overtake him out in the field. And he just greatly underestimated David's ability to fight uh, that way. Very quickly, the battle turned in David's favor. And David starts to tell his officers, I do not want my son killed. Don't, don't kill him. Spare his life. Uh, I know he's a rebel. I know he's embarrassed and humiliated me. I know he's overtaken the kingdom. Uh, but he's my son. Spare his life. Well, the battle turned and Absalom runs. And he's getting out of Dodge, and and some of David's men finally track him down. And when they finally get him apprehended, um, one of the officers, one of David's officers says, put him to death. They actually go ahead and they kill Absalom, and uh, news reaches David that Absalom has been murdered. Good news, David. It's all over. The rebellion's been put down. The, the, The crown is restored to you, the palace restored to you, the city, your kingdom. Uh, David, it's, it's all restored to you. And by the way, that rebel son of yours, he won't bother you anymore because he's, he no longer exists. We killed him. The Bible says that David's grief was so great that when the army finally returned into the city... That it looked as if they had been defeated, not that they had won. What was there to celebrate? As far as David's concerned, nothing's gone right for him. He's got his kingdom back, but at what cost? It's cost him his, his, his own son's life to be able to do that. It just was a, was a, was a horrible place for David to be in. This was, a, this was not a win. This was a kingdom really divided against itself. And then you read this. We read it earlier, 2 Samuel 15, 26. Let him do to me whatever seems good to him let him do to me whatever seems good to him. A thousand years later, in the very place where David had said these words, Jesus would kneel a night removed from his own crucifixion, and he would be praying to God. And he would be talking about, uh, with God, about what the plan was for his life. See, we come to this Christmas time, and we see uh, the baby in the manger, and we see that baby, and it's just such a you know, we, I think we get all warm and cuddly about that, but we, we lose sight of the fact that that baby came to grow up and die for us. That's the whole reason that baby came. And that baby would grow up to be 33 years old, and on a given night, he would stand in the exact same spot where David uttered these words, let him do to me whatever seems good. That's what David said. A thousand years later, Jesus would pray, and he would say this, Lord, if, if I were writing this script, I, I think I might write it differently. I don't want to really go through this. This is a, it, it, Lord, if there's any way for you to make this happen some other way, could you please make it happen that way? And then he comes behind and he basically says what David said a thousand years earlier but you do whatever seems good to you. Not my will, God, but your will. Not, not what I want, not my dreams, not what I think ought to happen, not the way it, 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 that I've got it romanticized in my head. Jesus could have said, you know, God, I've got this all figured out in some way that it could end in a celebration. Nobody has to die, but not my will, your will, whatever seems good to you. I think he says, you know, if, it, if this were up to me, I wouldn't do it this way. But this really isn't up to me. It's up to you. You know, we talk an awful lot around here about what it looks like to be spiritual and that there's a difference between looking spiritual and being spiritual. Being spiritual is watching your dreams die and still not allowing your faith to die. It's watching the lights go out on your dream and not watching the lights go out on your faith. To be able to to come with an open hand and say, we'll take whatever. You know, this whole... This whole first steps thing we've been talking about and this sermon hasn't been in any way preached in order to get us to think about the first steps again i just want to make a point off of it you know even with the storm this morning people have said you know what about the offering what about the offering you know what my response is whatever god wants i mean god knows what we have to have in terms of an offering he knows what we have to have to go forward and do the things that that he's calling us to do he knows all that God's also in charge of snowstorms. And if he decides that one needs to hit Terre Haute, then we can handle that. We will take what God gives us. We come every day, I hope you wake up, with open hands. And you're praying prayers that sound like this, Lord, this is what I've kind of got mapped out for me today. This is kind of the way I'm hoping it goes today. But Lord, really, at the end of the day, what you want to happen is what I want to happen. So you know what? On on one of the biggest days of our year and on a day when we really expected a big crowd and lots of excitement and a huge offering and all that stuff, none of that's important. You know what's important? Is that we collectively come and we say, Lord, whatever you have for us, whatever you want to happen, that's what we want to happen. Not our will, not our way, but your way. That's the mark of a mature believer. That's the kind of person who walks with God, who walks in faith and says, hey, I've got a plan. And I've got a way I think that it needs to go, but I hold that real loosely in my hands because it's not my plans that ultimately are the ones that have to come to fruition. It's what God wants to happen. That's the kind of church we want to be. That's the kind of believer we want to be tomorrow when we go to work and people see us and see how we behave. They need to see people who, even when the lights go out on their dream, the light does not go out on their faith. And I pray we'd be that kind of church. Let's pray together. Father, David certainly got put through the ringer in his life Um, Some of those things were really the result of his own stupidity and bad decisions, but some of those things uh, Lord kind of happened to him And today as he responded um, The way he responds to his crisis and the way he looks at you uh, He really does come in with the right attitude And I pray father that that's the attitude that we would be able to adopt. It's not easy because we our dreams die hard uh, we, we so romanticize some of those and so uh, want them to be true that when they don't, we get bitter, we get disappointed. Sometimes we walk away from the church and we walk away from faith. I just pray, Lord, that uh, you would not let that be said of us. Father, I'm pretty sure that in this room there are plenty of dreams. And in a room this size with this many people and this many dreams, plenty of those dreams aren't coming true. I pray, Lord, that in those times we're able to look to the heavens. We're able to look to you and say whatever you decide needs to happen in my life, that will be okay with me. Father, we're dreamers. You want us to be dreamers, I think. I think you want us to have vision. You want us to look ahead. But you want our dependence totally on you. And that's where we want to be. So, Father, this morning, that's our prayer. That we would just be faithful followers of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clchurch.com.